I am the owner of Rebel Artisan Bagels. We are a bagel shop and bakery on the east side of Providence. I've been doing this for like two and a half years, give or take. I didn't want to work in a corporate setting anymore. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I decided I wanted to make bagels, and I just kind of went for it. <laughs> and it's like the best decision I've ever made, I think. Hey, this is Girl Let's Talk About Food, presented by You Can Do It, Do It. Today, we're joined by Milena Pagan of Rebel Artisan Bagels in Providence, Rhode Island. What kind of led up to the decision behind the decision? Like what, what as a uh, young woman, maybe before entering college, did you think that you would do? When I was in high school, I like was super into the Food Network, which has really gone downhill. But I was super into watching the Food Network. I wanted to go to culinary school. But, like, even back then, I kind of had the awareness that you just don't get rich as a chef. Like, you don't get rich working in a kitchen. Uh, not that being rich is, like, a priority to me. But, you know, I didn't grow up. I don't, I don't have a safety net. You know what I mean? So I, I need to be practical. So then I got into MIT. I felt really compelled to go. I, I felt like it was kind of signaling that I have some potential to become something. And I got to go, like, maximize it. So I went to MIT for chemical engineering, didn't want to work in chemical engineering, had a series of office jobs after college. And then I landed at CVS doing like, you know, one of those like forward job titles, like it was like retail merchandising strategy, this and that. So I did that for like three years. I realized I was like really good at understanding how retail works, like how people shop, how they make decisions you know, how pricing works, how promotions work. Like I just got a super well-rounded education, but I didn't have any room for growth. They didn't want to promote me. They thought I was a little unruly. (laughs) They're not, not wrong, you know, but just like clearly I didn't really fit into the environment and I was getting really frustrated and I switched teams and it just still wasn't working. And there was some incident with a coworker that was just like, you know, petty high school drama. Yeah crap and then I was just like you know what I'm out of here like I have savings I don't really need to work for the money like for a few months I'll leave and I'll figure it out wow and I just like walked out I I was just really miserable I was just not fun to be around for a few months and then as soon as I quit I'm like (laughs) yeah and that that did bring a sense of relief it wasn't like oh shit what did I do yeah no I mean there was a sense of like a little (laughs) bit so I quit I quit like the day before election day in 2016. Yeah. So it was like, you know, my birthday was election day. I'm like super hyped up. I think we're going to make history, you know. And then the next day I wake up and like Trump is our president and I left my job and I'm like, did I just go momentarily insane? (laughs) But then I just like I kept going. I'm like, okay, I'm just I quit. So I got to go. Now, are you politically motivated? Did that like spur anything in you where you're like, all right, now I got to make sure this is like going to be successful because like the world is now no longer the the world that I thought I would be living in for the next few years? I think at a lot of times, like my business has definitely been a mental distraction from what's happening in the world. Yeah. And I have to juggle like in my head, my desire to kind of like fully embrace the distraction and pull myself out of this reality. But then also like, you know, things are not really going well and and we can't ignore it. And we have to like, I have to read the news. I force myself to read the news every morning. Like I want to know what's going on. I want to be politically active. You know, I go vote, like even for city council crap, I go vote. So it's been kind of like, you know, on both sides of it. And the city council stuff, I'm sure to you as a local business owner actually makes a big difference in in your district. It does. I mean, you'd be surprised like the number of little things that you need to call your, you know, city council person for like, you know, parking rules and like neighborhood stuff. And you guys have a pretty good location. Yeah. I mean, depends on who you ask, right? (laughs) Right up the hill from Whole Foods. Yeah. Some people like when I signed the lease, some people were like, are you crazy? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a brick building, like on a corner on a highly trafficked street. Like, it's amazing. And it's like two minutes away from my house by car. You know, I could walk over if I wanted to. I love it. I can't complain. I think the only thing is sometimes it's like too easy to wind up stuck in the like 
work and home loop. You know, you don't, you don't like you're at home or you're at work and you don't go anywhere else. And I have to be really mindful about that. <laughs> what helps with that? Making plans with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, making plans with people. Honestly, outside of whatever plans I make with people, I enjoy being at home watching TV. So what did people think were, was the downside of your location? This isn't like a secret. I think I think Camp Street just didn't have a, a great reputation. It like has a history to deal with. I wasn't really, you know, considering that. To be honest, like I just saw, I was more concerned about my relationship with my landlord. Like to me, you know, having having the right team, like having the right setup is way more important than the location or the building itself. And my landlord like found me and from day one, he was just like really willing to work as a partner. So there wasn't anything else for me to consider outside of that. Like once I knew I wanted to work with him, I'm like, this could be literally wherever. And it happened to be a pretty high traffic location. Yeah. In the <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I mean, I used to go down that street like four times a day. So I knew like this you know, it's like a major way to cut from the east side down to the highway, down to downtown. Like I was very like methodical or analytical about the way we came up with the plan. And are you seeing that that throughput as a benefit of the business? We have a, a first time customer survey that goes out like, you know, if, you, if the system recognizes you as a first time customer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's kind of creepy, but um, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Most of the people say that they um heard about us or they found out about us rather through like driving through. So wow. the location has really helped us. Um, obviously, we don't really have a parking lot. And that seems to, you know, a concern or feedback that comes up a lot. We just have like way more people trying to come in than we have street parking. I don't have a solution for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> I'm like, we're at a four-way stop, tons of street parking. We parked literally right out front the last time we went. Yeah, yeah we Opt had to out, take a pop running. Yeah. Oh, man, those <laughs> Pop-Tarts. Oof and doof. Well, it was interesting that you said, like, you had an interest in culinary and, and school like that, but you saw, what was the, what was exactly what drew you to MIT? Like, how did, how did that switch happen? Like, Food Network, culinary, and it's like, chemical engineering. All right. I did, like, my elementary school and middle school kind of at a, at a like local school in Puerto Rico. And then for high school, I was like, I, I you know, I want to do something a little bit more challenging. So um, my dad uh, like got me enrolled into another school um, and they like fudged my schedule for 10th grade. So I ended up placed in like more advanced classes. So I went to the um, – principal and I'm like dude can you sort out my schedule and he's like why don't you try the classes and like see what happens you know and if you can't handle it then we'll bring you back down so um I started trying like the more challenging math and science classes and I realized I was really good at it like in middle school I was so bad at math because no one really like explained it well to me and then in high school I like really kind of put the time in became really good at it and then my chemistry professor was like, you should apply to MIT. Like, we always kind of coach our best student to, like, apply. So they helped me, like, fill out the application. And I applied early. And then I, I got in. And it was just, like, wildly exciting. Like, my dad was so amped up. And then the first – I remember, like, when I got in, the first thought I had was, like, how are we paying for this? Like, we're not – you know, we're not rich. Like, tuition at the Puerto Rican universities is, like – covered by the Pell Grant, you know, you go, you pretty much go for free. And the thought of like, you know, a mortgage for a student loan was a little wild. And then luckily they gave me a full ride. So that was dope. Oh like, my gosh. I know that was like, that gave me pretty much every advantage that I have in life. Like yeah. being able to go to MIT on a full ride, like wow. graduating with an elite, you know, credential and no debt. Like, I couldn't be better set up for life. I mean, I'm grateful, like, every day. Every day. It happened in your high school. It's like a monopoly, like a bank error in your favor. They, like, accidentally put you in the wrong <laughs> class. And you're doing, like, just try it. Like, that's fine. And you're like, okay. And it's like, apparently, I'm really good at this. Yeah. That's awesome. I enjoy, like, the challenge. Yeah. Like, there are many things in my life where I just kind of, like, you know, dove off the deep end. 
And I I think like there's a thrill in that that really gets to me. <laughs> so you excelled in college, you excelled in high school, excelled in college, and then you, well, I mean, you said you, you know. <laughs> I graduated. You did graduate from MIT. You, you definitely graduated from high school. You definitely graduated from college, probably. I haven't seen the degree. Um, but then you left and you went into the corporate world. It was yeah. just like, okay, that's the progression or... It, it's so weird. Like, um, I think that's definitely something that MIT could do better, like exposing you to the multitude of jobs that you can get, you know, out of college there. But for chemical engineers, it was pretty much go work for a pharmaceutical company and like, you know, wherever in Pennsylvania uh, or Jersey, or you could go work at a refinery in like Texas, Louisiana, maybe Jersey again, or people went to like grad school. Or they went into consulting. And in consulting, you could live in like a big city. You could make good money. You don't have to wear a hard hat to work or like steel-toed boots. So I was like, you know, I don't know anything about any of these jobs. But I had one of my friends tell me that when he worked in pharma, he was paying, he was getting paid like 80000 a year to watch and make sure that a little pill was getting a coating on it, on a production line. And he told me like this never, this like never left my mind. He told me the most challenging thing he had ever done in his life was graduate from MIT. And that like everything intellectually from there was downhill. Basically, like I, you know, I didn't want to work for pharma, oil. I wanted to be in a city. I did consulting. I fucking hated it, man. <laughs> was that informative at all to the, the type of thing you're doing now running a business? No, no, no. I, you know, I wish I could say that I learned useful stuff in my time in consulting but it was actually all I learned was like I am not a corporate person like I heard so much sexist crap in the office I mean like we would go out for like steak dinners and the guy would be talking like sexually explicit stuff like in front of clients in front of women it was so gross they made me work seven days a week it was it was fucking hell yeah and then you're like Okay, I'm getting paid like 70000 a year, but I get to make that work in New York, and I'm working like 60 hours a week. So once you break it down, you're like, it's not worth it. And I, th I think it's something, too, that like depending depending where you work and depending on your environment, like you never get exposed to that. You're a white guy. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, even like, you know, talking about women at work, it surprises and shocks me every time I hear a story like that because it's like, holy, that shit happens. It's like, I know it does, but like... It's yeah. I don't know what wild. it is. Like someone, you know, someone gets the conversation going and then like all of the guys pile on and I'm just like, I mean, the conversation's not even like stimulating or interesting. It's so like empty and dull, but it's also unpleasant to listen to. I don't know. So you didn't learn from the job what goes into making a business or anything no. like that but if I learned something in that job I think I like started getting ballsier about like advocating for myself there were definitely times when like at work you know clients would blow up at me and like yell at me for something that had nothing to do with me and you know and when you're a consultant like you know, the client is always right. You're never supposed to. But I would just like I would kind of bite back and be like, you know, don't don't diss me like, you know, let's figure it out or, you know, don't talk to me like that. I mean, in consulting, I think a lot of times like the client's always right, but also the client usually doesn't know what they want. So like you got to kind of like tell them. Yeah. Like, yeah, you haven't figured it out. Yeah. I mean, I could talk for hours about like, you know, consulting firms inserting themselves into Fortune 500 companies and all the weird dynamics uh, suffice it to say that like they're overpaid, you know, morons for the most part, honestly. <laughs> it's like not a career worth going into, in my opinion. You ha you ended up finding a career that is worth going into. Which yes. Would be a nice segue to talk about Rebel a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, so you're you're on the east side, one of one of the four hearts of Providence, probably one of the 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 Greatest hearts to start. <laughs> She's doing stupid analogies. Um, yeah, four hearts. The four... Kind of like like a cow with the three stomachs. <laughs> exactly. yeah. You got the east side, the west side, the downtown. <laughs> no, but um, you know, Providence is is an. It's not Boston. It's not New York. It's kind of a bite sized city, it's right? Special. If we're talking about food, there is something special to Providence. So what what made Providence the place to be after being in New York and out, right outside of Boston? Um, I mean, for us, it was just kind of like an accident. 
of oh. circumstance, right? Like I got recruited by CVS while I was in New York and, and they're based here. And we discussed like, do we move to Boston or do we move to Providence? Like one of us was going to have to commute either way. So we decided to um, try out Providence for a year because it was cheaper and just kind of play by ear from there. And then we started watching a lot of HGTV and got like obsessed with the idea of, you know, buying a house and fixing it up. And I don't know, it's re- it's really weird. They really like target you at the kind of right moment in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so so then we like bought a house. Oh, wow. We bought at the bottom of the market. I think if we had to buy our house right now, we would not be able to afford it. But we bought a house and we kind of set up roots. And then um, my husband was working in Boston. I was working at CVS. And then when I decided to leave CVS, I thought about like, do I want to try to open a, a food business in Boston or in Providence? And I felt like Providence was just way more doable. Like just all of the all of the factors were like aligned well, you know, like um, high willingness to pay like people here, you know, they don't th- like they'll have a four dollar cappuccino, you know, same as in Boston, you know, regulatory. It just felt like a lot more, a lot easier to just like push things through, get the permits that you need. The rents are lower. The cost of living is lower. So I felt like, OK, if I'm going to like, you know, throw money into something and it shits the bed, I don't want to be out like, you know, a half a million dollars. I want to be out maybe like a 100,000. You think there's more capability to innovate in Providence? Absolutely. Just because like just because the barrier is is so low, like the barrier to success. You know what I mean? Like you can experiment a lot more. I That was one of the things like. When we moved here, we clearly saw there are restaurants and bars that could not exist in a bigger town. You know, like Providence has a really like curious and adventurous population in terms of like food and drink and and entertainment. But because like it's not so crowded out, you can do more creative things without it turning into like the restaurant with the five hour long wait kind of vibe, you know, which is what happens in Boston and New York, like you find a little gem and then, you know, it gets ruined because someone wrote about it. Providence doesn't have that problem yet. That's the fingers (laughs) fingers crossed that it doesn't. Were there bagel shops when you first moved in, like in that neighborhood? Yeah, um, Bagel Gourmet and Bagel Gourmet Olay. Oh, Um, that's the one at Thayer Street? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They they both had existed for a while. And then... But they, they make a different kind of bagel. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think I think our I don't think that there's any point of comparison for our bagels here. No, there's not. <laughs> Just like we're doing it. We're doing it really different. We're doing like our own vibe. Was Providence bagel? No. Well, they hadn't opened. So when I when I um was thinking about quitting my job and I was kind of doing all the market research, I kept Googling like Providence and bagels and nothing turned up, you know, nothing other than like bagel gourmet. And then one day this thing like Providence Bagel pops up and I'm like, what the F? Like, I just quit my job to do this. (laughs) Go away. I know. But, you know, I always look at those things and I'm like, I must be right because two of us have the same idea at the same time. I must be right. It didn't really like deter me from going. I was just like, all right, there's someone else trying to do it. I just got to be kind of very like strategic about carving my own lane and i mean there is like there's research that's gone into like for example when you've got like a burger king say that moves into the neighborhood right and if it's the if it's the only food spot if it's the only burger king they do okay yeah but if a mcdonald's moves in across the street burger king does better and mcdonald's does really well because that's the place that you now go to eat Uh. right so rather than it just being one spot where you're sort of passing through oh you might stop there now it's like Oh, yeah, we know we can go to this part of the neighborhood because it's, it has food spots we could go to. There's options. Have you noticed how, like, Walgreens and CVSs set up really close to each other? They do the same thing. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so there is, there is you know, you some of that. And you don't want to be the successful business because there's, there's no, no one else. You're like, no, I <laughs> love, I welcome yeah. competition. Yeah. It keeps me fresh, yeah, you right. know? Well, and, and the fact that now, you know, there's a, there's a few different bagel shops in yeah. Providence. Providence is, you know, is a bagel destination now to well, where people want to come. I that far. If people want to come and do an all-day bagel tour. <laughs> bagel Nation. Bagel. <laughs> I, JP, bagelnation.com. Yeah. Buy it. Don't worry. I just bought it on Hollywood. I don't think we're like that saturated yet, and I really hope we never get there. 
when like Providence, uh, when PB Donuts opened and when Need opened, it was just like this donut rush. And I feel like the trend just got tired. I really hope that does not happen to bagels. You think people stop going to PB Donuts? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying just like, look out for all the people who entered the market after they did. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there was a, a peak with donuts and it's kind of on the it's decline. But there's... I, really, to me, like PV Donut and Need are like yeah, PV Donuts and Need like they're they're it. here to stay. Yeah, and they have like a quality product. Yeah, and there's tons of other places of which I tried many that you know we did the RI food fights. Don't we did. Oh. We tried like a bunch of places, and we we're like, yeah, yeah, I'll just go back to Need. We know what we love. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and alleys, but old yeah. school. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that even if that happened, I think you would kind of like the uh, what's the saying? The wheat and the chaff. What's that? Uh, I don't know. It's some. It's biblical. Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, so, yeah. You definitely know it. Yep. Um, <laughs> basically, the point separating is separating the wheat from the chaff. The wheat from the chaff. Yeah. So, like, the quality businesses will stay around, even if they right. rise. They rise point, to the top. They, they fall aside. So. Yeah. That, I mean, we talk about that all the time too. Like, we've talked about donuts so much, just because it's interesting to like, kind of pick apart like the rise and you know fall or whenever it happens. And we're like, it's just the strong ones that are going to like stick around, right? right. It's the ones that like kind of cross over from like fad to classic. I think they've done a great job with that. Well, let's talk about distribution too, because like there's there's different elements, you know, to your shop and like it's staying power, right? With different products you bring to market, the way that you distribute, you know, your your existing products and kind of innovate through that. Can we talk a little bit about that? Maybe I'll, I'll throw like, like Need does wholesale and yeah. in the shop for example. So I've talked to Adam from Need a lot. They definitely put more of a focus and more resources around wholesale distribution. I tried it like and I tried really forcing it honestly last year. I thought it would be like good to help me build my name but also to kind of balance out my like capacity, you know, like if we're not so busy then we have wholesale orders and that kind of thing. But I, I quickly realized like, you know, most of the coffee shops that we were talking to, they weren't going to sell more than a dozen bagels a day. I didn't want to be driving like 30 minutes each way to deliver a dozen bagels daily. So like we had a lot of interest. We did it for our friends. We still do it for our friends. Honestly, like uh, it's, it's one of those things like the second it becomes a thorn on my side, I'm turning it off. I do it out of love for my friends because it's it's the one thing that keeps us like getting up at 530 in the morning, seven days a week. I, I prioritize more selling at retail. I have I'm just very particular about how I want my product to be presented. And I am not very trusting of people who are not my friends <laughs> to to kind of serve the product the way that I think it needs to be. So because of all of those kind of factors and, and you know, economic factors as well we're just like we're not gonna do it we're gonna do retail we can really control like the 360 like experience you know we want people to come in try the food listen to the music sit in the room talk to our team it's there's just like so much that builds into it and there's there's a vibe in the store that you wouldn't get if you were to say go to whole foods and pick up half a dozen bagels in in the freezer yeah 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 i think I think there's just like a there's a magic that happens when you're in the shop. It sounds really corny, but yeah, it's just I have no other word for it. <laughs> well, tell us tell us a little bit about the first time maybe the the first time you walked into the shop after it became Rebel. It's hard to kind of pinpoint that because I was so active during the build out. It's like when you get fat little by little and you don't like realize it. <laughs> <laughs> That's every day. Just You're like, frog this like gradual change where all of a sudden it hits you. <laughs> My God, painful experiences for me. <laughs> yeah, no, the shop just like little by little kind of like became what it was. And then, you know, one day we like finished all of our licensing with the city and we were sitting at some bar somewhere. And just like, uh, yeah, I guess we're all set to open. So like, when do we want to open? And we like picked whatever next Saturday was coming. And and the space has like evolved so much since we opened it. I still have a lot of things that I want to change 
I've been just reinvesting so much of the money back into the shop. Because, like, I love my landlords. I want to stay there long term. So I feel way more comfortable just, like, let's change the floors. Let's change the door. Let's change everything and just, like, make it ours. I feel like we're not going anywhere. Are you planning on expanding at any point? We're trying to. I've, I've always thought of it as, like, a business that has potential um, to expand. I'm not in a rush. I'm very... I'm just like very um, methodical about how I make decisions. Just everything has to kind of be right. I think a lot of businesses burn out trying to expand too because yeah. they just like grow, grow, grow. And then yeah. it just, it's too much. They can't handle it. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's definitely a part of me that gets like antsy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I've been looking at so many spaces, talking to so many people. Like, why can't I make a deal? It's very frustrating. Very frustrating. When the right deal comes along, like, I feel like I'm ready. I'm just like waiting to spot the right opportunity. So why bagels? Because it was a hole in the market. Honestly, there's like huh. no, there's no special emotional attachment. I mean, I, I like bagels a lot. I like remember eating bagels when I was little uh, yeah. when we would visit my sister in New Jersey. Like so we would fly from Puerto Rico. We would see the snow. I would wear a puffy jacket and we would eat like, you know, pastrami and roast beef on bagels. Like I could have, I mean, I could come up with any other like emotional story about any other kind of food that I opened a place for you know what I mean yeah sardines (laughs) (laughs) maybe no sardines (laughs) but that's that's the interesting that's one of the interesting things about food is like yeah you know oftentimes too you're serving customers like me who have like an emotional attachment to a very specific yeah like experience and we we all can come up with them but like when I first had a a rebel bagel immediately was like Back to my childhood in New York, like visiting my grandparents on Long Island and, and getting bagels from H and H. Your bagels are like those bagels. It's not you know, an exact comparison, but it was like yeah, we went to New York and like ate a lot of bagels, and I was still <laughs> developing my quote research. unquote market research. <laughs> no, yeah, legit, yeah. legit. Yeah. But I mean, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do when you're starting a business. But we went and we ate so many bagels, and I was already like kind of in the middle of like coming up with my recipe. But I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything like special or deliberate that I did to come up with the recipe. I just feel like I kind of like tinkered with it and then it looked good enough. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's Hmm. it. That's the one. Like, and, you know, I stop. Like, I'm not, I don't really like to fuss with shit. I'm just like, looks good. Leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Has it changed at all since you started? There's like minor tweaks that we have to make. Um, Humidity and. Yeah, it, it has to do a lot with like the changing of the seasons. So if you're really paying attention, which honestly probably nobody can tell but us, when there's kind of transition between seasons, like it takes us a, like a week or two to kind of adjust. You know, we got to adjust like the proofing time, the temperature of the water, how long we let them proof, you know, a room temperature, et cetera. Like it's it's really irritating. And we take notes <laughs> so we can like go back to it. Yeah. But it's like relearning how to make the dough. Are like, a lot of places more temperature and humidity controlled? I mean, it depends on like how much money you have. I remember uh, PB Donuts old kitchen. I mean, it was so humid. It was like 85 degrees in there and maybe like 90% humidity. Wow. The girls were in tank tops. It, it, it got hot as balls in there. But seven stars, like completely, you know, climate controlled. Like you wouldn't know what time of year it's in there. So my dad and I recently did your Bagels 101 workshop. Oh, you must have done it on the weekend when I was in there. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> it was awesome. I, awesome. I didn't even know that you like ran them yourself. Yeah. So um, oh, we recently figured out that because there's three of us that can teach the classes, we can schedule three classes in a month, but rotate so that we each do two. Yeah. So it's like we get a bonus one. So that was the one that I elected to sit out. Cool. Because I had homework. <laughs> homework for what? For I'm in school right now. I'm doing an MBA. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a master's in bagel administration. Oh. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that is. (laughs) So you're going for a master's in bagel administration. Yeah. (laughs) Is it like an online or are you going? No, it's it's IRL. (laughs) So where? It's in Cambridge. So I commute to Cambridge four days a week. Is it the Sloan School? Yeah. Wow. So MIT again. Yeah. Oh my I, gosh, good for I you. I bleed MIT. So you decided to take on a 
an MBA in addition to yeah. founding and running a business? So um, when I was like kind of trying to find my path um, while I was still at CBS, I, I was interviewing for jobs outside of the company. Um, and I also decided to apply to MIT. It was the only school that I applied to. Um, I don't really like believe in MBAs. And I, and I still say this as I'm doing one. Um, I'm, I'm a big skeptic. I don't know how much like useful stuff you learn, especially not knowing what you're going to go into after. Um, but it was going to be a thing that was going to buy me two years to like figure out what I really wanted to do. And it was going to look fucking professional on my resume and nobody was going to question it. Clyde. And then I started the business at the same time. And then they, um, they interviewed me. Um, so it's kind of like applying for a job almost. They like call you in for an interview. And then I got admitted and I was like, awesome i just signed my lease for my shop so i guess i can't come so then i like kind of talked it out with them and they let me push it out a year so i could defer um and i was supposed to put down like a five thousand dollar deposit and i emailed them and i'm like if i have to give you five thousand dollars to hold my spot i can't hold my spot like five thousand dollars to me are like gold right now so they hold my they held my spot for me and then the next year i kind of had to like reapply but they just kind of wave you through and and now i'm there i'm wrapping up my first year and then i have next year you don't believe in mbas I, you're doing I don't. an mba what yeah. have you learned by doing it <laughs> um so i mean i've learned i've like really focused on figuring out what are the practical things for me to learn so when i went in i was like i want to learn operations and marketing marketing is not really mit's forte at all so i'm kind of shifting away from that but the accounting and finance classes are amazing i feel like i can talk to my accountant at a whole nother level and i like ask him a lot of questions so i kind of understand like what's going on instead of being like oh my accountant does it and it also like helps me plan my business better if i understand how everything looks like from a financial perspective and in operations, it's like amazing. I'm taking that one this semester. I mean, we've done all sorts of like experiments at the shop, you know, clicking on a little uh, ticker to like figure out how many people are coming through, figuring out like how can we um, split the flow or like go through the registers or that kind of thing. So that's pretty practical. It's kind of what you make of it. You know, honestly, if I ha like I have a fellowship, if I had to pay full price for it, I'd be like, absolutely not. Not worth it. Well, and if you're not actively running a business or like making a business like what what could you really learn from it you know I call it like CEO finishing school you know there's like a lot there's a lot of like communication classes and like leadership classes and stuff like that you gotta know how to like read through a PNL. you gotta know how to do all of these like technical businessy things but at a very high level you don't need to know how to like do it you know in the weeds at the end of the day it's like yeah every box that you will have ever need to check is now checked I know. I mean, this was when I went into it, I was like, this is my career insurance. Like, and it's really sad that I have to think about it this way. But when I started the the shop, I had this weird hang up that if it just kind of hit the pavement, like if it sucked and I totally just face planted and I had to go like look for a real job, quote unquote, I felt like if I had to explain like, oh, I quit my job to like open my own bakery people's like image in their head would be completely different from reality. They wouldn't picture me running this bakery that has like 500 people flow through it on a Saturday. They would picture me more like frosting little cupcakes and like wearing a frilly apron and they wouldn't see me as like a serious businesswoman. So I was like, okay, well, I have this opportunity to get this like fancy degree that, you know, regardless of what goes into that sausage, people really view it as credible. And, and I can do this like for a third of what it actually costs. You know what I mean? All I have to do is sign up and like put in the time. So I did it. And, and like I'm actually getting some learning out of it. You know, it's it's like having world class experts as free consultants. You do, you know, obviously a, a variety of events now through the shop. Yeah. Right. You've got the Bagels 101 workshop, which is kind of a an intro crash course for schmucks like me who <laughs> might want to make bagels at home, but more just like curious, you know, in my case was like, oh, this is a fun thing to do with my dad. Yeah. You know, we're always looking for like fun experiences to have together. And this was like perfectly fit the bill, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, just like we showed up, we had this like cool experience where we got to like watch how the dough is formed and like learn all about that process and how humidity affects things. And it was, it was like a fun 
almost like a fun educational seminar. And then we got to take home half a dozen bagels, which is really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what did you make? What, uh, well, we, we made the bagel shapes and then put them in for proofing. Did you, did you guys end up selling our bagels or no? Oh, um, we <laughs> probably did. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. No, we like, we, they kind of weed them out like yeah. the next morning. Um, they'll good. try to, because they get formed like way later than, than the rest of the batch. Sometimes they don't like proof well enough, uh, but they always bake them and then they just kind of see how it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, what gave you the idea to do that sort of event at your shop? I think like I take this for granted because I just kind of do it all the time, but people think it's very like um, intimate and like interesting to walk into a kitchen of a place that they go to a lot. It's like it's like you're being let in. I don't I don't know. It's <laughs> we, we felt like we were breaking the rules a little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah it's so, like oh. you don't know. You don't know, like there's a wall. You don't know what happens behind it. You don't know what it looks like. Like it's very mysterious. So it's just kind of fun to like bring everyone back. And it gives me like an opportunity to interact with people and show a little bit of personality. I put a lot of effort into that, into making sure that people understand like what we do and kind of what we stand for. So it's really fun. And it's, you know, it's two hours on a Sunday. It's pretty low stress. It's at the end of our work week. Like I'm getting ready for school. So it's just kind of like a nice thing to do. It's an easy way to endear your customers to you. They yeah. have like a connection to your place now. Yeah, there's very little other bagel shops that I will go to. <laughs> well, you just, yeah, you feel like, oh, I, I mean, I just know them so well. I yeah. I can't go somewhere else. There's that event. And then there's the, the bitchin' event. Yeah. Or bitchin' series now. You've had two. If two makes a series. Well, it's almost. <laughs> You're getting there. One. So uh, how, did, how did those events happen? I can't remember what I was reading, but I like read... You know, someone posted on Facebook, like some write up about, you know, Providence, you know, like where to eat in Providence kind of stuff um, on some national platform that I can't remember. But I read it and I'm like, oh, my God, like you would think nothing's happened in Providence since like 2014. <laughs> We're talking about the same restaurants, the same chefs, the same everything. But like the city is so dynamic. It's changing so much. It's growing really quickly. And that story isn't really being captured anywhere. And more importantly, like, there's all these up-and-coming women who, you know, have been, like, bootstrapping their businesses. You know, can we talk about that for a second? And I talked about it with Jan, um, who owns uh, Stock Culinary Goods on Hope Street. I was talking with her, and she was like, you know what? Now that you mention it, like, yeah, I don't think anyone's talking about that. So then... I pitched it to a few of my friends and they thought it was a fun idea. So we were like, let's do a panel. Let's just like talk about whatever. Let's see who comes. Like, you know, maybe people are interested in talking about this. It's very topical. Like me too. There's, you know, so much like, you know, feministy and like women good vibes out. So we did it. it. It worked really well. There was a lot of interest and based on the feedback from the first one, we realized like people really wanted to talk about money, about how to fund a business. So then we kind of sat on that one for a few months until we had the time to do it. And we planned it. That was last month, last month. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I was humbled to be invited to that. And (laughs) it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. One of the, one of the things that kind of struck me about that experience is similar, actually, what strikes me with a lot of the women-led events in Providence and and elsewhere is that there is an intentionally safe and inclusive culture in that space that is not present in other spaces. Is that something that you, when you were putting this together, that you thought about? Or is that something that just kind of happens naturally? I think, I mean, I, I think that we, what we went into was just like, let's kind of share our stories and let's see, like, what people have to say and what kind of questions they have and like what interest is there. And if we have information that we can share with people, we'll share it. If not, we'll find the right people to share that information with our audience. Like, I mean, to be honest, we weren't really thinking forward about like what, where this was going to go or like what people were going to attach to it or read into it or, or whatever. We just wanted to like have a space for us to talk about the struggles that we were facing 
you know, and have people come in and say, like, I relate to this. I want to talk more about it. Or like, if it's not their vibe, it's not their vibe. I think it ended up being what it is just like by complete accident. And I'm sure like as we do more, if we do more, like the vibe is going to continue to evolve. It definitely felt very safe. <laughs> uh, and that that was that's just something like it's like, huh. This like people are free to be here and to yeah. listen and to not. And even disagreeing too. Yeah. You know, there's like disagreements that happen. You know, like someone will, you know, put out a question and then we answer it. And then there's kind of like a little bit of a pushback back and forth. But it's all in good spirits. Like, you know, we're just here to like challenge each other and grow. What do people have to disagree about in those kind of conversations? Mr. Contentious. <laughs> oh, I'm just kind of so, There's like all sorts of things. You know, there's always like privilege to contend with, right? Like, you know, like we all are privileged in some way or another. And it's very hard to strip away like how much of our success is because we have some kind of like socioeconomic privilege versus like hard work. You know, you you can't like separate those things like cleanly, right? So there's always like people who want to have conversations about that. And, you know, we listen to it and we engage. At the end of the day, it's again, very different to separate the impact. So I just kind of shrug and say like, I hear you, <laughs> but I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah. And your privilege doesn't stop you from working hard. It just it sets your starting point. Yeah, a little differently. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you could you could argue that like by virtue of having gone to uh, to MIT, I'm like very privileged. But I can also argue that I grew up in a fucking colony in the, in the middle of the Caribbean. That's not a very privileged place to start from. So I I feel like I've made my own luck. I don't really have to explain my success to anybody, <laughs> but I am happy to listen. You're gonna get a group together and have these discussions yeah yeah and we just all listen to each other and we learn from it i like it takes it takes a lot to like push my buttons and get me to take something you know for me to take personal offense you just kind of have to like fire shots but i'm down to have any kind of intellectual conversation about whatever it's awesome that you got that that these businesses are so supportive of each other and it's just going to help you all grow and mature and i don't know keep providence awesome i think it's just so much easier to do like business and to succeed when people are just trying to be nice to each other. It just takes way less energy. Let's you focus on the stuff you got to focus on to grow your business. And like whenever we have dope ideas, we just call each other and we coordinate and it happens so quickly. Like I think everyone gets a kick out of that too. Like, Oh, wait a minute. We run a business. We can do whatever we want. (laughs) You'd think in a small city there could be, I guess there's like two directions you think it would go. It's either like, there's not like, there's a small place like I need to hold on to what's mine, but it's cool that everybody decides to. I mean, I think the jerks get filtered out pretty quickly. The wheat and the chaff. The wheat and the chaff. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of this episode, you're going to leave and you're going to be like, wheat and chaff. I think I we're going to need like a like a link in the footnotes or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's I'll be, this, <laughs> what's it'll be a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> so we'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask this question because um, our, our listeners... I want us to get the hard facts. Now, okay. why is a bagel not a donut? <laughs> <laughs> I actually was, I was like, I, I want to know after like, you answer this, what did you think oh I was going to ask? I have no idea. <laughs> it's, a, it's a savory donut or a sweet bagel. You know, I we have a lot of like, um, we have a lot of discussion in the kitchen about like, when does it stop being a bagel and become a donut? Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's like the Fruity Pebbles, you know, bagels trend. Mm. Is it a bagel or is it a donut? <sighs> you know, they put glitter, uh, glitter like sugar over the top, stuff like that, you know. Mm. Banana bread bagel, banana bread donut. French toast donut with French uh, toast bagel. Yeah, like, yeah. Walnut cream cheese. I mean, like, I I'll know. just say like anything... In my opinion, anything uh, sweet outside of cinnamon raisin, that just stops being in bagel territory. Found the gauntlet. Yeah, I think so. Even cinnamon raisin, like I, I'm not like a, a strong supporter. Keep <laughs> uh, <laughs> those raisins out of my bag. Local businesswoman doesn't yeah. support cinnamon what, raisin. What's something that absolutely does not belong in a bagel? Like what's, uh, what's bagel? What's like the, the, one of the seven deadly sins of bagels? I mean, I certainly don't understand cereal and bagel. I don't. I am in general not a fan of carbs on carbs. Um, so that just like really offends me. 
blue blueberries are like they're passable <laughs> i wouldn't want a blueberry bagel at that point yeah. i want a blueberry muffin right Blueberries seem like the better fit for cream cheese anyway. Like if you're going to do them in something. Like... I, I just, I don't understand like why a blueberry bagel? I don't understand. We They made them, they made them last year while I was in Puerto Rico uh... for a weekend. <laughs> Michelle, like the She'll head baker, know. she sent me a photo and she's like, we made them. And I was like, you do you, you know, I can't control you Did she sell out here. at least? Like did they? Yeah, they, they, they're made in like a small batch. So they usually sell out. I like yeah. that you won't even get it's not even like they weren't even it wasn't that they were good. It was that there was just so few of them. No, <laughs> I imagine people like them. Out. Someone like so in our job application, we ask people like, um, what's their favorite item on our menu? Because the idea is like, we want you to have tried our food. Uh, and someone put in blueberry bagels, and I'm like, this person either has never been here. Or they came here like this one weekend when we <laughs> <made them. laughs> like a year ago. Right. Yeah. And it's so just how, not how quickly did you hire this person? And you brought them in just oh, no, to tell I them off. <laughs> no, no, no. I did, I, we just kind of like next. <laughs> yeah. How do you want to go work for a company and you don't know their product? It's not even about like, do you like it or do you not like it? But you like need to have experienced it. What's your ideal like bagel combination? Like, what's your favorite flavor? I'm simple. I would go for, like, a bacon, egg, and cheese on sesame. So you yeah. pollute it with breakfast sandwich ingredients. I, yeah, I like <laughs> I like a breakfast sandwich. Like, that's how I got into bagels. Honestly, I don't eat a lot of cream cheese. I don't enjoy the texture. Like, I, I'm textures are important for me with food. So, like, I can have a, a very light smear of cream cheese, but I don't like to put cream cheese on my bagels that much. Yeah. So I'm more of like a sandwich person. How do you feel about a salt bagel? Uh, eh, you know. Keep it in New York. I mean, we make pretzel <laughs> bagels. So I think that's more interesting than a, just a plain salt yeah, bagel. Those are good. Rebel had hand pies before you had. Oh yeah. What's currently on your menu? Yeah, the pop tarts. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's marketing. I, I'm curious. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, I'm, yeah. I'm curious a little bit about like, you know how how you come to make kind of product hits for the hits you see quote unquote there is like a graveyard of failed yeah. attempts <laughs> like, yeah tried to make chicken salad happen for a while it didn't happen the customer came in there like it'll never be a thing <laughs> stop trying to make chicken salad happen <laughs> We make a really good chicken salad. I feel like we just tried it when we had just opened and, you know, there was a lot of, like, shit going on. But the the Pop-Tarts were just, like, we had been doing the hand pies. And they were what shape? Uh, they were not Pop-Tart shaped. <laughs> they were, like, round. Some of them were square. And they weren't really, like, taking off. They were doing, like, fine. And then one day I was like, oh, let's, like, ice them like a Pop-Tart. And then all of a sudden they, like, started taking off. And we started making those in like October, but it took maybe like three months for it to like really, really catch on. And now we'll probably make like five or six dozen per day on the weekends. Wow. They take so much time. Like we don't have a we don't have a sheeter to make the pie dough. So, you know, the girls are rolling out pie dough by hand. It takes some it takes them like two or three hours to get ready for the weekend with Pop-Tarts. But, like, they're fun. People really like them. You know, I think they tap into whatever the fuck the donuts tap into in people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad for me, but it's good for me. Yeah, it's, like, it's big, flaky, like, sprinkles, icing. And, you know, people oh, yeah. just go bananas for it. Well, and there's that, like, product association with Pop-Tarts. And yeah. Like, What's well, like a healthier Pop-Tart? Like, handmade. Uh, I don't so. know what healthier, but... Shh, 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 healthier <laughs> Listen, I ate three of them the other only, day. It's only half three? a stick of butter per... In a, yeah. You know... <laughs> it is legitimately like a half a stick of butter per Pop-Tart. It's just... Yeah. It, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's my disgusting. wife had to resuscitate me. I did die after <laughs> eating it, but... Yeah, we... But they are so good. Like, every time they come up with a new flavor, I'm so sick of eating my food. I'm so sick of eating my pastries, you know? And then they'll hand me like a little piece to try. And I'm like, fuck, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's so good. Like it's so flaky. It's so crumbly. It's, yeah. It, yeah, it just hits every spot. Well, hey, I want to honor your time. And thank you so stinking much for coming. Thank I have you guys. One final question. Yes. You graduated college yeah. from one of the most prestigious schools in America. 
And then you went and worked a job that you absolutely hated yeah. for several years before deciding to finally quit and say, I'm going to do my own thing. And once you discover what that was, you've been just going at it full tilt for what, three years? It's like two and a half. So for two and a half years, you've been chasing the thing that you're most passionate about in terms of business, right? And working and bringing it to the world. How has that work transformed you outside of that work? How, how have you been made better as a result of that whole arc and experience that you've had? I think when I, one of the things that I struggled with when I was trying to start my business was um, talking to strangers. I seem really outgoing and very extroverted, but I'm actually like, I'm, I'm a little bit guarded. I'm, I'm, I would consider myself more of an introvert. I'm much better like one-on-one. -on -one. I don't like crowds. I don't like public speaking. And having to approach strangers and like, you know, pitch them some kind of bullshit business that didn't really exist was very daunting. I felt like really afraid of getting, you know, of the judgment. So like getting over that, like having to work up that nerve to talk to strangers and be like, this is the thing I'm doing. It's amazing. You need to try it. Um, you know, let me work with you. That was something that I'm going to take with me wherever I go. It doesn't matter where this business ends up going. And another thing that I've learned is, sounds really like weird to put it this way, but like more interpersonal skills. I had never been a boss before I started my company. And then all of a sudden I have five people reporting to me, young, relatively inexperienced. So it's like the blind leading the blind a little bit. And then I was sleeping maybe like five hours a night. There was just like so much going on. And then on top of that, I had to learn how to communicate, how to build a team, how to manage people, how to mentor, how to like keep people motivated. And I've definitely made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I give myself credit. I think I've learned way more in two years than normal people would, you know, just by virtue of like the number of experiences that I have running this business. So I would say those are the top two things. Well, hey, Milena, thank you so much thank for coming on today. Thanks again for listening to Girl Let's Talk About Food presented by You Can Do It, Do It. If you want to learn more about what Milena is up to, feel free to visit our website at youcandoitdoit.com. And if you're in Providence, definitely stop by Rebel Artisan Bagels on the east side. As always, if you can, tell people about the show. We love to be introduced to new people too. And that's actually how Milena got on the show today, along with all of our other guests. Uh, we found out what people were doing. It was super exciting and we wanted to share about it. So definitely reach out to us if you've got something to share or someone to introduce us to and drop us a review on iTunes if you like the show. Last but not least, a big thanks to Night Swim for the use of their song Fiji as the theme song for this show. We absolutely love it. So thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.